Uh, welcome to the Mahogany Tower, where we talk about faith, we talk about science, we talk about identity, and on many, many, many occasions, we actually talk about all of the above. Because in my case, as a black Christian scientist, those things tend to be very related to one another. Um, you know, in our last episode, we talked a lot about brilliance, right? Um, and in tongue-in-cheek humor, I kind of said I was thinking about thinking. And I literally spent, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes just kind of thinking about thinking and doing so out loud. Um, but that's really important, right? Because I think as a grad student, but also just as an aspiring scientist and also as a creative, a lot of those ideas start in my head, right? Whether we're talking about a research project or, you know, a, a, a paper idea or a book idea or some type of creative expression, all those things start in my head. And so I, I have to take a step back and really reflect on the thinking process, right? How can I be brilliant on an ongoing basis, whether it be for the purpose of school or for the purpose of various creative undertaking and pursuits? Because uh, brilliance is something that's appreciated. Brilliance is something that's respected. Brilliance is something that um, you know, helps, helps our work to be profound. Today, it's funny, I did that piece and I remember thinking to myself, I feel like there's so much more here that I'm not really digging into. And I did more thinking. And today, that's really an extension of our you know, previous conversation. Our previous conversation was on brilliance. Today, we're talking about Yahweh the creator because I've been thinking about the act of creating. And obviously, you have the thinking piece. But you also have to convert all of that thinking and reflection and meditation and those insights and, you know, clever connections that you're making in your mind. You have to figure out how to convert that into something, whether that be I'm going to turn it into a book or I'm going to turn it into a poem or turn it into a song or a rap or whatever we create. And as I've been creating, even though I haven't been doing that as much as I would like to recently, but as I've been creating, it's been making me think about my father. It's been making me think about God, my creator, and how the act of creating reminds me of him in some ways and helps me to understand him better um, in some ways. And so uh, I'm going to kind of be rapping a little bit about Yahweh, the creator, and telling you kind of some connections that I've been making as of late. And, you know, prayerfully, they resonate with you and they're kind of spiritually edif edifying for you as well. Um, I would say... I don't know, maybe for 95% of my life, I didn't really think of myself as a creative person. From um, you know, a social psychology perspective, we like to think of this thing called self-concept, right? And your self-concept represents how you see yourself. And that's obviously influenced by lots of things like uh, you know, various socialization processes and meaningful life experiences and other things. But basically, your self-concept represents how you see yourself. It's your inner man or your, your inner woman or inner person. It's who you think you are. And for most of my life, my self-concept didn't really have anything to do with being creative. I mentioned this previously, but my initial exposure to the arts actually began in the eighth grade. I got involved with um, the, the youth group at my church, and from there, I fell into theater. And as it turns out, I was actually pretty good and performed in uh, various capacities for four or five years. I really don't like calling it performing because 
when I do things for God, I don't really think of it as performing. Uh, but you get the idea, right? I'm on stage and, you know, people are kind of having the opportunity to witness and kind of experience various theatrical kind of demonstrations. But then something happened. I got to college. And when I got to college, I really had to figure out who I was. And that's a deep existential type of question. But I think college is a place where you ask yourself deep existential questions. I'm out of my parents' house and I'm out of this, this tiny town that I grew up in. Um, I'm surrounded every day with thousands of other students. And I also think as a Christian, you're also keenly aware that most of the people around you don't really share your views, right? And I mean, I think that's true also in high school, but I think it's different in college because when you go to college, you can be or do whatever you want. And honestly, your parents can't really stop you. So I was choosing to be a follower of Christ. And I was also keenly aware that my views on life were very different than um, lots of other people because they were choosing to be someone else, right? They were choosing to live a different kind of lifestyle. So I had to decide really quickly, who am I and what's my life going to be about? And I spent a lot of time thinking about faith and spirituality during that time. And as a result, I learned two things. First, I think college taught me that I am a fairly reserved person. Now, <laughs> I'm probably more introverted than I am extroverted. There's, there's just something about being around thousands of strangers all the time that overwhelmingly brings that to your attention. Don't be confused, though. I, I mean, I have great communication skills. And in fact, I would describe myself as an exceptional communicator. I also know how to put myself in social situations where, in general, I think I fare much better. But if I'm being honest with you, interacting with lots and lots of people can be draining for me. And honestly, I think since college, I've never really kind of excelled in that particular respect. So sure, I'm a little bit more reserved. So that was kind of insight number one. Now, the other thing I learned was that, apparently, this was news to me, um, I'm a really thoughtful person. And that's twofold, right? The first part of that is I think a lot. I mean, I don't know. That's, that's just kind of who I am. So if you think a lot, you're more likely to be thoughtful or insightful because you've spent more time thinking about things. But the other piece of that was the insights I derived based on that thinking. Now, when you're a child or when you're young, you just assume that everybody thinks about things from your perspective. Everybody thinks exactly like you. Everybody in the world thinks just like you do. And I think as you get older, you slowly realize that's not really true. And I think I was in college and I just assumed that, of course, everybody thinks exactly the way I do. And I think over time, as I, as I kind of progressed through college, I slowly realized, no, that's, 
That's not true at all. There were dozens of times where, you know, I would just casually share something in conversation with a friend and they would be like, oh man, that's so insightful. And I would think to myself, insightful? Is it? I mean, I, I just kind of assumed everybody thought that. And I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I knew I was smart and I knew I was intelligent. And, you know, obviously those are blessings from God. But it, I think it took me several years, you know, during college to realize I was making connections that other people weren't always making. Right. So based on that, my self-concept started to change. I mean, it seemed like I was this really insightful dude. And so I thought to myself, maybe I need to write. Maybe, maybe it'll get some traction. Who knows? And it's interesting because I didn't really do much performing on the stage anymore. Um, this was college. And so there were lots of people that were theater majors and performance majors. I didn't really get into that space. And I didn't really do that much anymore. Instead, I started writing. And I was writing skits and I was writing scripts because the way I saw myself started to change a little bit. And I didn't see myself as someone who belonged on stage. Instead, I saw myself as someone who uh, was more so behind the scenes and kind of did more writing. Again, it wasn't a bad thing. It just kind of happened. So I actually started writing some skits and scripts for performances. They were all pretty short. I think, I don't know, maybe four to eight minutes. Maybe the longest one was 10 minutes. Um, but I really enjoyed writing them. And in fact, I actually had the opportunity to be, in, be a part of some of them. Um, but, as I, but as I progressed through college again, something happened. Now, I decided on my fields of study. And I selected finance and economics. Now, as you may or may not know, these are quantitative fields of study and they involve quite a bit of numbers and formulas and all this other stuff. Not rocket science by any stretch, but, you know, it's fairly quantitative. And I think the way I viewed myself started to change yet again. I mean, people who work with numbers are logical and rational and analytical and structured problem solvers, right? All these buzzwords. And obviously, in some ways, I mean, I don't know, these represent stereotypes on some level. In fact, we would call these occupational stereotypes from a research perspective. So stereotypes about people who go into particular fields or occupations or in particular jobs. Um, but, you know, I, I wanted to take my career seriously. So I just assumed this was who I was going to be. Now I'm going to be this logical and rational and analytical problem solver. So my self-concept changed yet again. Now I'm this analytical problem solver. And as I bought into that idea more and more, I didn't really nurture that creative spirit very much because I didn't see myself in that way. Now I saw myself as this analytical, structured problem solver, thinker, whatever, whatever. Now to be fair, on some level, there's a good reason why that happened. Although it definitely shouldn't have, far too often in society, when we think of various things, a mental image comes to mind. Our brain is hardwired in that way. It's part of how we organize information in ways that's useful for us. So when we think of entrepreneurs, 
a particular mental image comes to mind. When we think of missionaries, a particular mental image comes to mind. When we think of doctors or lawyers, a particular mental image comes to mind. When we think of engineers, a particular mental image comes to mind. When we think of presidents or politicians or orphans or high school dropouts or anything else under the sun, there's a mental image that immediately starts to take shape in our mind. That is both a good and not so good thing. That phenomenon helps our brain to organize information so it's more useful and accessible to us. On the other hand, it creates a more rigid pattern of thinking, right? We tend to restrict ourselves to these mental schemas that our mind produces, and we tend not to venture beyond those mental images very much because it becomes harder and harder for our brain to organize the information it has. So once I graduated from college and began working in corporate America, that kind of persisted. When I thought about creative people, there were two categories of people my mind would come up with. Now in category one, you had people like Beyonce and Drake. These are people who are committed to their craft and clearly have a God-given talent. Their level of brilliance is so undeniable that you recognize it immediately. They are exceptionally gifted. So those are literally like the top 1% of creative people. Suffice to say that most of us will probably never achieve that level of, I guess, acclaim. And then in category two, right, you have people, <laughs> this is me kind of being open, open about how I was thinking. In category two, you have people that are so consumed by their love for their own art or maybe just the arts in general, it can be a tad bit difficult to connect with them. So maybe uh, someone like a, a Lady Gaga uh, is a great example. Phenomenal artist. Nobody can take that away from her. But Lady Gaga is also a little bit out there, right? But she's an artist, so that's not unusual or out of the ordinary for her, right? But here's the thing. I didn't see myself as fitting in either of those categories. I didn't really fit any uh, either mental schema. So I erroneously assumed I must not be a creative person. I didn't view myself in that way. It wasn't my self-concept. I didn't really see myself as fitting either mental image, category one or category two. Many years later, I started to realize that many of these mental images I found, I found myself referencing so frequently were absolutely absurd. 2017 rolled around. And by that point, I'd been a Christian for a number of years. Um, I was starting a PhD program. I was also on a journey with my black identity. In fact, I'm still on that journey with my black identity. So I had that going in the background too. There was a lot going on beneath the surface. And I just felt I didn't have an outlet for any of it. I hadn't really written anything in years, but I felt myself aching and yearning to write. There were so many thoughts, so many ideas, so many 
questions, so many feelings. Like seriously, I couldn't turn my brain off. So I just, I felt like things were bubbling over inside of me and I didn't really have anywhere to put it. I didn't have a space, I didn't have an outlet. I, didn't, I mean, I didn't have a meeting. I didn't have any dis, like designated opportunities to exercise my creative expression in a way that I found fulfilling. Obviously I went into work and I made this cool spreadsheet or I did this cool presentation, but man, I didn't get to exercise that creative expression in ways that I found most fulfilling. So I started blogging and I wrestled with it at the time for many of the same reasons that I described earlier. I didn't think of myself as a blogger. I didn't see myself as creative in that way, but I did it. And I mean, honestly, it's working out really well. And podcasting really was the same, right? I didn't really see myself as a podcaster. I didn't see myself in that way. It wasn't really part of my self-concept. Like I'm not one of these young, hip, cool Instagram influencers. That's not me. I'm not that person. I can't be a podcaster, but here I am. I'm doing it and it's actually been really fruitful. So I feel what I'm describing as a journey that I've been um, on concerning how I view myself, that's my self-concept, right? But also a journey in how I see and think about creativity. And both of those things have fundamentally influenced and shaped how I see God. And if you're okay with that, I'm gonna share some of those insights with you. And I think my thesis in all of this is as follows. If you don't get anything else from this episode, remember the following. God is creative. I'm made in God's image and you are too. So I have the capacity to create. So let's unpack each of those. We're going to get existential for, uh, for a second, but uh, try and stay with me. Think about it. God is the only being that's existed since the beginning of time. God literally created everything. All of it. Every single thing in creation. Now that's mind blowing for lots of reasons. One reason why is God had a working blueprint for all of existence. The stars and the planets and galaxies and the universe, all of it. And the laws of physics that tie it all together in ways that we don't even fully comprehend or understand. Somehow, some way, God, in his brilliance, in his ingenuity, in his creative genius, he came up with all of it. And we can't even begin to wrap our head around that. We probably never will. Another reason why creation appeals to God's creativity is the only creative inspiration that God had was himself. That's it. The only 
creative inspiration that God had was himself. That was his only creative inspiration. The Bible says in the book of John, chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, in the beginning was the word. And all things were made through God. You see the exact same account in Genesis chapter 1, which walks us through creation. The original description of the earth, that's Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, is that it was shapeless and void. And then, right, in verses 3 to 3, excuse me, 3 through 24, we see him make the earth what it is. So we see his creativity described in a three-step process. First, there was nothing. Only God was in existence. Then, there was something. But what does the Bible say? It lacked shape. It lacked form. It lacked order. It simply existed. That's it. And then finally, we see him bring his creative vision to life over six days. He gave his creation shape and form and order. Just like that. The reason why this is noteworthy is because nothing like this will ever happen again for the remainder of existence. People who create, myself included, draw inspiration from what's around them. A conversation they had with a family member. Something funny they saw on TV. Another artist they really like and enjoy. In theory, it's impossible to create in isolation by virtue of the fact that we exist. Seriously, you can't do that. Whether you're willing to acknowledge it or not, everything you create for the remainder of your life is partially inspired by experiencing the wonder of God's creation. Existence. When you start a business, you think of other businesses. That doesn't mean your business will look the same as theirs, but you know what a business is because someone else created a business first. When you create a recipe, you think of other recipes. When you plan a wedding, you think of other weddings. When you plan a party, you think of other parties. When you write a poem or a song or a picture or you create jewelry or clothing or whatever, you think of other people's creations. We don't just create out of thin air. Not so with God. The Bible says there was nothing and then God flexed. Hashtag God's plan, right? And just like that, we had everything. And it's a synergistic combination of complexity and mind-blowing beauty. Like, have you really thought about how complex humans are? Seriously. For most other living organisms in existence, they have a very simple blueprint for their life. Self-preservation and reproduction. In other words, most other living organisms have the life goals of reproducing, that's sexual or asexual, right? And trying to stay alive. A very simple existence, right? 
But for humans, we have this thing called self-actualization and it makes us distinct from every other organism in existence. We have feelings and emotions and thoughts and ideas and we desire truth and the pursuit of happiness, whatever the heck that means, right? We desire individuality and self-expression and we seek answers to questions like who are we and why are we here? What's our true purpose? Is there really a creator? And all this other stuff, right? And that's just the psychological things. Anatomically and physiologically, humans are remarkably complex. I mean, I haven't, I mean, I certainly haven't had a ton of courses in the natural sciences, but the musculoskeletal system and even the nervous system are mind-blowing. Like seriously, who, who comes up with this? It's absolutely fascinating. The design of the human body, it's absolutely insane. Yahweh, our creator, is absolutely brilliant. His creative brilliance is absolutely limitless. And it's undeniable. Yahweh is a creator. Everything we have is because of him. In one moment, we had nothing. But his creative vision gave us everything. So that's the first point. God is creative. But here's the thing. The Bible says that I'm made in his image. And you are too. It says that in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. It makes the reference again in Genesis 5, verses 1 through 2. It makes the reference again in Genesis 9, verse 6. And Genesis is about creation. I think it's interesting the Bible starts by reminding us and reaffirming again and again and again, you were made in his image. I love to stress that point because God is a creator, but humans are the only thing in all of creation that the Bible explicitly describes as being made in the image of God. It doesn't say that about anything else. I mean, maybe that's why we're so deep and so complex because we're made the image of God. And if the Bible says that I'm made in God's image, that means I'm a creator too. It's true. A hundred percent. God is a creative genius. So that means I can be creative too. And here's the thing. That doesn't depend on your choice of profession. That doesn't depend on what you majored in when you were in school. Honestly, it doesn't even matter how you see yourself. Because Christianity isn't necessarily about how you see yourself. It's about learning to see yourself the way that God sees you. So if the Bible tells me that I'm made in his image, that means he made me with the capacity to create. That doesn't mean I'm creating galaxies and universes because obviously that's not the case and it'll never be the case. But we have the opportunity every single day to show our artistic or creative brilliance. You may not be super interested in seizing those opportunities or learning how to build the capacity for 
creative thinking or engaging with novel or outside of the box ideas. But that's absolutely 100% something you're capable of doing. I don't think we're all equally gifted at that. And I think some of us excel at that far more than others, right? But if you want to create, then go create. You're a creative genius. It's in your DNA. And it's not a testament. I want to be clear on this. That's not a testament to how amazing or awesome you are. Quite the contrary. That's a testament to how amazing and thoughtful Yahweh, our creator, is. Just some random thoughts while I'm creating today. <laughs>